Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life, the conversation with me, Grant Scott, and Bill Shapiro. This is an ongoing conversation which goes out at the beginning of every month, in which we look at different aspects of the photographic world, community, and photographic practices. So, Bill Shapiro, who is he? Well, Bill served as the editor-in-chief of Life, he was the founding editor-in-chief of Life.com, and he's also the author of several books, among them Gus and Me, a children's book he co-wrote with Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards, and What We Keep, a fine art photography curator for New York galleries and a consultant to photographers, Shapiro is also a contributing editor to the Leica Conversations series. He has written about photography for the New York Times magazine, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, Vogue and Esquire, among others. Every Friday, more or less, he posts about under-the-radar photographers on his Instagram feed, where he's at Bill Shapiro. My name's Grant Scott, as I said, and I am a photographer, filmmaker, writer, editor, lecturer, with 41, 42 maybe years of experience working with professional photography. This is the second part of the conversation Bill and I were having on The Pivot. If you haven't caught up with episode one, you might like to listen to that either before this or perhaps after. So, Bill, welcome back to the Photographic Life for the conversation. We're picking up where we were uh, last episode. We were talking about The Pivot we were talking about that idea of pivoting, changing, and we were also talking, well, we sort of were talking, I suppose, really about the external, and we kind of promised that we talk a little bit about the internal um, this episode. Uh, how do you feel about that? That sounds great to me. I mean, the two are obviously very linked, um, but sometimes I think change comes from the external and sometimes it comes from the internal to affect the external. So I think that's a great, that's a great way to go. Yeah. Now I know that you've spoken to some great people and you've got some really interesting things to bring to the conversation uh, this time, as you always do. Um, But one of the things I was thinking about was um, this idea of not only change as in I'm going to photograph something different or I'm going to move into a different era of photography, but it was that complete change away from a photographer being a photographer to actually moving into other areas of the creative industries. And recently, a very good friend of mine, a great photographer, David Eustace in Scotland, who's also been a a film director for commercials and so forth. But he's moved into sculpture and has just had a very Mm -hmm. prestigious exhibition in Edinburgh uh, of that work, of the sculptural work, alongside some photography as well. And um, Grant, what what sort of um, photographer uh, is, was Eustace? What what, what did he focus on? um, Portraiture, celebrities, fashion. He works for Vogue, for GQ, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. He was also repped by Albert Watson's wife, uh, Elizabeth. So very much in that world, I suppose you would consider to be a outside of art photography. Mm-hmm. But he's now moved into the sculptural forms, which are, are really incredible, powerful and, and beautiful. And um, I just thought that was really interesting, that idea of moving away within the creative arts, pivoting to another area. 
Um, have you spoken to him at all previously about about what what brought that on? Yeah, I have. And I think to a certain extent, it was a frustration with photography, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. A frustration with the, as we spoke about last week, the the increasing lack of creative freedom um, to make work within the commissioned environment and a, a desire to expand, you know, that creativity. So he's still, you know, I'm not familiar specifically with his pictures or obviously with his sculpture, but he's still working with shape and shadow and form um, and, you know, possibly the sort of look of movement. Um, so there are some similarities there, I'm guessing. Yeah, kind of. And I, and I think he's also dealing with the ideas of memory and the idea of suggestion of things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. I know myself, I, I, we were just talking in the green room before we got started with this. And, um, you know, I'm starting to, on my first um, work of fiction, uh, first book of work of fiction, I see that as a, a really natural extension of storytelling from a, a camera into words and so forth. And I know also you've spoken to uh, a photographer that we mentioned in the last episode. Yeah, you know, we um, we talked about Bill Owens um, sort of in passing, and it made me think he's such an interesting case study. For, he's such an interesting person and such an interesting case study that I thought I would give him a call and um, uh, and sort of take it from his perspective. So for those uh, out there who don't know who Bill Owens is, and I strongly suggest <clears throat> a Google, um, in the 70s, Bill made a couple of brilliantly perceptive landmark books that looked at suburban domestic American life. Um, his most celebrated book was Suburbia, and it's really a marvel. A marvel. He 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 won a Guggenheim Fellowship, a couple of um, uh, big grants from from this country, <clears throat> and um, his work is in the Museum of Modern Art, the Getty, et cetera. You know, his pictures are funny and um, insightful and, and worth checking out. And he was but, also, of course, at Altamont and with the Rolling Stones. Yes, um, and he held on to those pictures for quite some time, and then um, more recently um, uh, released a book um, about that. <clears throat> so he was really in the thick of things for a while, um, but in later years, and we'll and and some of my questions elicit this, but just as a sort of headline, um, Bill became a brewer, and now years years after that. He's making a graphic novel called The Delco Years. And I just want to talk to him because he's someone who has pivoted um, certainly more than once. So my first question for Bill uh, was just simply, how many years were you a photographer? And he this is what he told me. My first um, photographer job was at the San, was at San Francisco State University daily newspaper called The Gator. I did this for uh, a year before landing a job at the Livermore Independent newspaper. And Livermore is a sort of a suburb of um, of the San Francisco area. Um, I was um, a full-time photographer there for 14 years, 1969 to 1983. I worked five days a week doing six to 10 assignments a day. I did over 25,000 assignments at the newspaper, uh, shooting 35 millimeter film uh, using a Nikon. I process the film and the prints, and this is the process for developing a photographic eye. Studies have shown that doing the same activity 10,000 times develops skills. So um, in 1970, while working at The Independent, I conceived of the idea of photographing the suburbs, which my paper supported, and I was able to obtain a small grant and spend one day a week shooting that for a year. 
<clears throat> so he he you know twenty five thousand assignments you know that's that's a lot of photography. So I, then then I asked him how and why did you move from professional photography? And again, he was like highly acclaimed um, to brewing. And he told me that in 1983, he says, quote, I was laid off by the newspaper and with time on my hands, I taught myself how to brew all grain beer. And I wrote a book, Draft Beer in 10 Days. Then the laws changed in California, allowing brew pubs to develop. Uh, develop. I opened Buffalo Bills, one of the first brew pubs in America. From there, I published uh, American Brewer Magazine for 14 years and then started American Distilling Institute. You know, he's still photographing, he told me. He's still, uh, quote, catching the decisive moment. I always have my camera with me. I shoot every day. I have 28,000 digital images in the cloud taken with my iPhone. Many images have been published in books and magazines and, and exhibited. So anything you want to talk about there or should I get into his latest twist? Well, I'd, first of all, yeah, I'd love to get into his latest twist, but I'd, I would also like to say that, you know, I started off saying about pivoting into the creative industries in a broader section. I'd definitely like to include brewing into the creative industries. Uh, for sure, for sure. But, you know, what, what he said was that he was also very opportunistic in the best way. You know, he sort of sensed something was coming, Um and got into the the brewery business, the craft brewery business, and um, you know that's huge in Cal has become huge in California. So in a way, being a photographer with your with your nose to the ground and seeing and being observant, and seeing what's happening around you, I think can also inform you about other currents going on in the culture. Yeah, I think that that whole point of kind of spotting, it's that dreadful word, isn't it? Zeitgeist. And, you know, if you're a photographer, you should be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, and I also think you can use your camera to become aware of what's going on, you know, if you if you sort of feel you're not already. So if that's going out and photographing youth culture, um, you know, that's and 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 sort of waiting for, you know, being open to opportunities and and seeing what's going on out there. It's a you know, that, that's a great place for a photographer to observe a part of the culture that he or she hasn't traditionally looked at. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, maybe this is, you know, picking up on where we were we were talking about last time is don't feel that you have to wear a label that says, I'm a photographer and therefore I can't do something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, but you know what, as I'm thinking about this and, you know, last time we talked about, okay, somebody wants to do to, to pivot or evolve. And so they have to start doing their research. Um, if it's food photography, you know, they have to start asking these questions and, and um, doing this kind of research. If they want to do landscape, et cetera, et cetera, wedding, et cetera, et cetera. It strikes me that, a photographer could use their role as a photographer to actually start to do that research. Um, if you're interested in, I don't know, floral photography, you could suggest to somebody that you shoot them while they're shooting. And, uh, or if you're interested in industrial photography, um, you know, you can sort of use your camera to insinuate yourself into a situation where you haven't been before. Well, that's exactly what Bill did with setting up his brewing magazine, wasn't it? It wasn't good enough for him just to have a bar and make beer. He then wanted to be kind of evangelical about it. Yes, yes, for sure. 
Bill loves spreading the gospel. <clears throat> um, so I asked Bill what else he's doing now, because he always has a million things going on. And he said, my current book is The Delco Years. I'm quoting him. A dystopian novel. It's, it's a graphic novel, actually. A dystopian novel. Um, at, get ready. After a pandemic kills everyone except for people who drink unpasteurized beer. I wrote the first draft 21 years ago and put it away until the pandemic hit. I opened it up and for 15 months did the final draft and then spent another year working with a designer, Kate Jordahl, to lay out the book. I used my photographs as source material for many of the illustrations, which are by Francesca Consanti. So here he's using his photographs and his, his archive to inform his next piece of art, which I just love. Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely kind of bringing together so many of the threads we've spoken about, isn't it? Open-mindedness, collaboration, uh, looking to the future, using an archive in a creative way. It's kind of everything <laughs> wrapped up in uh, Bill Owens and beer. Yeah, and and also, you know, the fact that there are some parts of this book that he realized he he can't and maybe doesn't want to do himself – and so, you know, hired an art director, hired um, or collaborated with, um, you know, an illustrator. And I think that's a great model of going forward. Like you don't have to be the master of all skills, um, especially a little bit later in life. You can work with people who are. And I think that's a great model to pivot and evolve your career. So I asked Bill if he was nervous to leave photography behind. And um, uh, to which he said, I never left photography behind. I just changed with the times. I knew I cannot make a living after doing fine art photography books. So I moved on to brewing and distilling, using my photography skills in both professions and continuing to photograph every each day. When digital cameras came out, I sold my Nikons and embraced the digital photographic um, world. And then I said, um, I asked Bill, is there anything else you want to mention? And he says, and I'm quoting, I still answer the phone. Call in the morning, 510-566-9566. I may try to sell you a photographic print or a book, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I, I do hope everyone listening phones Bill. Yes. Well, I think he would be glad to do it. He's somebody who loves people. As, as as many documentary photographers do, you know, like like talking to the people out there. And uh, he's a super engaging, super creative guy. And we'll, you know, we'll list on the uh, on the show notes, um, you know, his website and where you can see the Delco years. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think what's really interesting, and, and I think maybe we are a little bit evangelical about this, Bill, is this idea of um, continually moving forward, not getting hung up about uh, the labels of what a photographer has to be and and really being in that place where you can see, as Bill is saying there, I'm going to move with the times. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I do want to talk about, um, excuse me, myself for one second. And this this wasn't exactly a pivot, but, you know, on my... On my Instagram feed, um, most Fridays, more or less, I write about an under-the-radar photographer. Um, you know, and until a few years back, when I when I left um, my jobs in the magazine industry, um, I, I 
hadn't written about photography per se. I'd, I'd used, you know, as the editor of Life, I'd used and and photo- photographs all the time, told stories with photographs, worked with photographers, but had never written about it. And when I started looking at a lot of the writing about photography, I found it inaccessible, not approachable, very academic, and maybe even insecure. And when I looked at Instagram and I saw, you know, the populace, the culture, looking at photographs and and seeing that there were so many selfies and pictures of food out there, and at the same time, so many great photographers who weren't being recognized and whose Instagram feeds were quite small, I, I just saw an opportunity there to share great talent with with more people and it's been very appreciated by both the photographers and the audience and so i think this idea of before you pivot really keep your eyes open make a list think about opportunities think about you know the quote unquote marketplace of ideas and 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 objects even if it's not a, a monetary marketplace, you know, think about where, 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 where there are holes that you could fill. I wonder if it's um, easier for you and I to make these pivots and these changes in our kind of our career progression because we didn't study to be photographers in the beginning, so we didn't sort of start off our lives with, with that label. Well, I think that's for sure true. I also think, you know, if we're speaking honestly, it's easier for us because, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and we were doing it at a time when perhaps it was a little easier than it is now to be associated with a, with a big magazine brand. Um, you know, now it's just, uh, it's very difficult. Yeah, but I I think it's also, I mean, I started off talking about David Eustace, and interestingly enough about Eustace was that he was a prison warden at Barlini Jail in uh, Glasgow before he'd even studied photography. Um, Right. Well, that um, takes air out of my argument. Well, no, I don't think it does. I think it supports your argument because what it's basically, well, because I think what it's sort of saying is that as you're older, um, if you've already made these pivots, it becomes a kind of natural progression in your life rather than this huge thing. If you've always um, defined yourself as a photographer, it becomes very hard to then redefine yourself, whereas both you and I have, have worn many hats over our careers. Yeah, you know, I think that, but but I think that's actually at the root of part of the internal psychological hurdles that that we people set up for themselves because they identify themselves as x and maybe that x is too narrow and if they back up and instead of saying yeah i'm a food photographer i'm a landscape photographer i'm a yearbook photographer they think of themselves in a slightly you know more broad definition I, I do believe it, it will show them more opportunities. So, so I thought it would be interesting, Grant, um, to speak with someone, not a photographer, um, who, who actually specializes in helping people pivot in their careers. So I spoke with uh, Leonora Weiner, who is now a career coach and a career advisor 
career whisperer in New York. And she's someone who has herself pivoted, um, you know, and she's well suited to talk about this topic because in a previous life, Leonora was a magazine editor um, working at photo forward magazines um, such as InStyle. And, and she and I worked together at a, uh, in the past at a couple of different titles. Um, she's worked with many, many creatives over the years and now is a career coach. She helps people advance in their careers and, and make and help them make bold pivots. And she's even working with a couple of photographers right now. So I asked her, what are some of the psychological challenges that people face when they start to pivot? And she told me this. I have found that people who are really good at their craft have a very hard time imagining doing anything but what they're doing. They don't immediately see how all the research and preparation that goes into organizing, say, a location shoot could be applied to preparing for an event shoot. So what I try to do with my clients is, yes, open the aperture a bit so that they can see what lies adjacent to their current world. Yeah, I think that that's that's fine. But I I do think that um and it's interesting. We we've seemed to have moved a little bit towards magazines and publishing. And you know, my my, my next book, let's talk about myself, but, but my next book is very much about the death of magazine publishing. Uh it comes out next February. And I think that the issue isn't for a lot of photographers now with the pivot, is I think it's a bigger pivot than just a kind of just old photographs, something different. I really believe that we need to kind of put forward this concept that it's perfectly okay to do something completely different. I think that is so true. And, you know, we, we, we hit on that with Bill Owens a little bit. And, you know, although he moved into, into brewing and writing about um, uh, distilling and brewing, um, he still used his photographic skills. And I'm sure he also used the skills that he honed as a working photographer, working with people, layout, et cetera, um, in this new um, field of his. But I, but I think you're right. I think, I think you don't need to limit to, to making images. I asked her, how should someone start to prepare for their pivot uh, and how long in advance? And also, I asked her, um, should we all be thinking of a plan B, even if things are going swimmingly right now? And Leonora said, pivots take longer than most people think. I tell my clients to give themselves at least a year. If you're making a pivot from one kind of photography to another, say landscape to food, um, you need to start by doing research. And I, and I think this applies even if you're moving out of photography, as we've been discussing. Um, are there agencies for food photographers? Who are the biggest publishers for food photographers? Who, you know, who, who, who do the big food companies use for their internal and external photography, et cetera. Um, and then she says, and yes, I think people should always be thinking about a plan B, a global pandemic aside, we've seen the photo industry and other industries get disrupted again and again. And so, you know, I think this idea of writing down brainstorming by yourself a huge list of questions that you have about whatever field you're thinking about, um, you know, from clients to how-tos to what does a day look like uh, for a person who does this is a great way to start. And then you go about kind of trying to get those questions answered. I agree. But I also think that that research should be perhaps be not talking to other photographers about it because <laughs> I think it's, you know, you need that outside input because I think there is a lot of uh, 
Chinese whispers and kind of internal conversations and discussions and beliefs that happen within the photo land, which actually um, are really quite redactive. Yeah, well, a lot of times um, we're talking to ourselves and we see things the same way and we're and we're honestly missing the same things going on in the culture. I mean, you know, going back to Bill Owens, if he had only been talking to other photographers, I can't imagine he would have, you know, sort of caught wind of the brewing thing. So um, I, I agree with you. And, you know, Leonora actually in the next question, I think starts to hit on um, some of the ways to get started here. So let me hit this, then we can continue. Um, uh, I said to her, let's say that my pivot is less out of passion for a new field and more out of financial or creative necessity. How do I go about, but I guess it appeals, it it applies no matter what. Um, How do I go about assessing my own skills, talents, uh, et cetera, so that I can find a next job that feels like a good fit? And she responded, quote, A good way to start a pivot is to begin talking to people you know and trust. The first stage would be open-minded conversations, um, saying something like, I'm thinking of making a pivot, but I'm not sure what, I'm not sure to what yet. And your friends and colleagues will usually jump right in and say, you'd be great at X, or you're such a people person, you should look at Y. And then she says, and I think this is really interesting, take notes, and this is key pay close attention to your emotional as well as cognitive reaction to what they say. Cause I think, you know, and now I'm, I'm going out of her voice now. I think that's just a great, you know, it sounds very simple, but, but there's this, there's this trick that um, I read in a magazine a long time ago, which is, you know, if you can't make a decision between uh, you know, what should I have for dinner X or Y or something, something silly, which book should I read? Flip a coin saying heads is X and and tails is Y. And before the coin falls and determines what you will do, take notice of how you feel when you start to see heads or tails. Do you feel like, oh, shit, that's the wrong thing? Or, oh, good, I'm glad it's landing on tails. And that's really the key. It's not where it lands, but it's how you feel before the answer is revealed. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I was just thinking about what you were talking about there and thinking about that that sense of failure, that fear of failure that all that so often steps in, that anxiety that but if I do that it you know it's going to go wrong. But I always kind of say, well don't have any fear of failure because failure is fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, w- one of the things that I think we've all learned from all these internet businesses and the founders is that people fail. They they believe in failing fast in getting feedback about what went wrong, what you didn't think about. Uh, you didn't take X or Y or Z into account, whether the external circumstances or 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 you know your internal fortitude for this or that, and then move on to the next thing. And you've learned a ton. And uh, there's no harm in that. No, you you also never know where you're going to end up. I think there is a, there is a a real desire among uh, the 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 human form, the human mind, to control the future. But we have to accept that we can't do that. Um, absolutely. Um, let me continue because Leonora mentions um, a couple of interesting things here. She says, "quote There's there's an online assessment tool 
um, and, and we'll link to this, called the Clifton Strengths Assessment. It's run by Gallup, the, the polling company. And for $60, you can take their online assessment and get a very good read of your core strengths. She also has t- told me that she has um, she asked her clients to write up a personal manifesto, who, who I am, what I care about, these are my values, this is what I'm good at. Um, both the content and the very act of writing leads to meaningful insights, she says. It's interesting. I think there's a very, um, maybe not so much anymore, but there certainly used to be a much more American approach to these kind of things than the UK approach, where we, I think we have a tendency to more be slightly more reticence in, in kind of engaging in those kinds of processes. Oh, yeah, we're all into it. That's very American. <laughs> I can't see many people here thinking, yeah, I'll spend $60 to see my core my core qualities. I may be completely wrong. I don't know. But that idea of sitting down and writing, um, I always encourage uh, the use of a Sharpie to write down really key words. And, you know, it's a, it's a great way of just getting it out of your head, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've done this too, but, you know, when I have been asked to, or, or ideas have come to me on my own um, in the old days about starting a new magazine, I would lay out a giant page of, or, or website, a giant roll of butcher paper and just start writing and just start, you know, really letting them use go without stopping and some things are questions and some things are drawings and some things are statements and some things are one word, you know, emotions that I want to capture. And just having a document of all that crap, honestly, getting it out of you and onto paper, which you can then either organize or tear up or edit later is really helpful. And I think really helpful for this idea of, you know, evolving your your internal or or external life. It just occurred to me, I was just thinking about what you were saying there, and I completely agree. And I've, yeah, I've I've done the same thing many, many times. I just wonder if there is a sense that the photographer feels the need to get it right in the, you know, the push of a button, that perfection Mm -hmm. needs to come so quickly. Whereas the reality, of course, is that um, it can be a, a, a slow process filled with kind of mistakes and you know, when you talk about Bill Owens there again, I mean, he seems to be a bit of a, a talisman for this particular episode. But, you know, he's taking pictures every day. He's not worrying about it. He's just not worrying about it. He's just doing. You know, listening to you, a metaphor came to me, which is long exposure. You know, I don't think you need to figure this out, as you said, in the click of a button in an instant. And you don't need to get it right. Like, there is no decisive moment here. I do believe it's a long exposure. Leave yourself open to a lot of things um, and see how things develop. So, yeah, we've been pretty, you know, this conversation has been going on for quite a time now. And we, we've we've kind of batted a lot of stuff around. But, you know, if we're going to be really personal about this, both, both you and I, as, as I said, have had lots of pivots in, in our lives. I mean, how do you feel that, you know, from an internal perspective, how do you deal with that? that situation and then it, and then I'll, I'll tell you how I do when you say that situation what do you mean the, those kinds of um pressures that come to you when you you know you're making a change and it can be a big change from editing a magazine or you know those kind of comforts to being freelance to not writing about photography and then you know the, these are all the pressures that I think uh the internal pressures you know that mental well-being 
what what makes you sort of keep working at it? I mean, for me, I've always been sort of platform agnostic. Like I just like telling stories. And if it's a it's a photo essay or if it's a magazine or if it's a, a written you know story that I write or if it's a book and I've done that and you know um, film scripts whatever to me it it all just feels like I'm telling a story and I'm trying to elicit for me it's always I'm trying to elicit an emotional reaction and um, you know some years ago. Um, my, my oldest friend, um, Barnaby Harris and I were just, we're, we're walking down, um, in New York city and we both had happened to have read, um, Keith Richards, fantastic autobiography called life. And we started kicking around the idea of, Oh, you know, what if this could be a kid's book? That would be really unexpected. And so, you know, the idea of working with someone like Keith Richards to make a kid's book seems absurd. And we just, we didn't care if we failed. We just, we just gave it a shot and it ended up, it ended up working, um, you know, and, and we collaborated with him and uh, on this, on this book that he wrote. Um, and and I think it's, you know, you, you do need a little bit of, I'm not even saying it's fearlessness. I think it's who cares? All they're going to say is no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're You're absolutely right. I mean, I think we probably share a very similar um, take on that, I mean, it, it, one of the things of the revelations that came to me was uh, roughly uh, 13, 14 years ago, I was writing um, a monthly column for a photo magazine, and it was all about my experiences on various photo shoots and so forth over the years. And I started to realize that every month I wrote my column and I told the story and everything went wrong. It, it was a story <laughs> of things going wrong. Nothing I'd ever done had gone right. But actually, it all been okay, and that's when I started to think, yeah, we can push this further. We can take more risks. We can head where the choppy waters are, because at the end of the day, it's going to be okay. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think that's a good um, transition to the last question that I asked Leonora because she sort of lays out a little bit of a plan, a potential plan here. Um, I asked her to give me a brief example from one of her photographer clients that illustrates one of her points. And she said, I have a client who's a photographer in the cannabis industry. And first we focus on all the different ways he could diversify his business, both in terms of what he shoots and where he publishes. So some of the ideas we landed on included shooting other kinds of botanicals, not just cannabis, getting into medical photography because the lighting can be sort of the same and the uh, close up. Uh, macro um, beauty of these botanicals can be sort of the same. Exploring different kinds of licensing, such as educational publishing. And next, we focus on developing a long-term strategic plan. And this, I'm going to leave her voice for a second, I think is really important and goes to what you said about it's not, it doesn't happen instantly. It's not the click of a shutter. She says, well, um, I encourage all the photographers I work with to come up with a long-term plan. For example, by this time next year, by this time in two or three years, I want my business to look like X, Y, or Z. And let's say the Y is 30% of my revenue coming in from licensing. 
Then you think about what steps you need to take to meet that target and you allocate your time accordingly. That is, if you know you want to grow your licensing revenue, for example, you might have to turn down a not so profitable shoot to focus on the licensing part of your business. It's hard to do in the short term, but when you have a long-term goal, knowing that this is going to happen over, say, three years, it helps to become a decision filter for you. And I thought that was really good advice to think about this as a long-term thing and to make small decisions along the way to nudge you in one direction or another, as opposed to like, you know, uh, closing the curtain on one thing and lifting it the next day on something else. Well, first of all, I, I, it comes as a revelation to me that there is a cannabis area for photography. Oh, there um, is. It's thriving, at least in this country. Yeah, not here. <laughs> That's for sure. But it's not legal here. Um, do you know, I don't know if you do this, but I um, always have a 10-year plan. And uh, I'm coming up to 60. And so my 10-year plan needs to be formulated in, within the next year. And within that 10-year plan, I, I kind of define things I've never done before that I want to achieve, different things. And I pretty much stick to it. And I, I the last previous 10 years, um, I made a plan and, and, and it's come to fruition. I think it's important if you want to get somewhere, you need to work out that destination. There's no point getting on the bus and saying, take me wherever you want to go. You've well, I want to, I want to, I think we should talk about that. First of all, tell me how specific is your plan? Um, it's quite specific in, the, well, I have a number of things I want to do. If I go back 10 years, um, 10 years ago, uh, I began working uh, within academia, which I had never done before. So at 49, I uh, completely pivoted into academia. No, but Grant, Grant, but did you have on your list 10 years ago, I want to write a novel. I want yeah. to write, I want to write a book about the magazine industry and I want to, I want to become a professor. Uh, I, I had on my list that I wanted to progress within academia. Yeah. I okay. know I'd always wanted to make a film. So I made a documentary film. Um, I'd always been interested in radio and broadcast. And so now I contribute to the BBC and obviously do this podcast. Um, I knew I wanted to write books, which I'd never done before. And I've now written four or five, I think. Um, so as I get to the end of that 10-year plan, from a career perspective, not from personal, but from a career perspective, I've ticked a lot of the boxes. The idea of the novel is something I've always wanted to do. That goes into the next 10-year plan. So this is interesting because I've never had a plan. Um, ever not, not, I mean, I, I have a plan, <clears throat> you know, date, literally day to day, um, what I want to accomplish today. But isn't but that I, funny? Because you'd think from this podcast, it was the other way around. You were the planning guy and I wasn't the planning guy. Yeah. I mean, what I do that I guess is, is sort of similar is I have a, and you probably have this too, a giant list of ideas. And those are, um, you know, story ideas or, or maybe their book ideas or themes. And I, and I constantly write that stuff down and going back after a certain number of years and, and reviewing that list, I'm like, Oh yeah, I told that story. Yeah. I did that. Check, check, check. And, but they're not necessarily in the form that they were first conceived. 
Um, but I've never said like, oh, I want to write the lyrics to a song or I want to write, um, you know, a movie about X or Y. It, it's been it's been more th- story based or or concept based than format based. Yeah, I'm the other way around. I don't have any stories I particularly want to tell, but when they come up, I just do them. So the novel, um, something came up, I discovered something, and within a couple of weeks, I'd written 30,000 words, uh, and then I gave those to the publisher, and I got a book deal. Um, yeah, well, that's fantastic. But, but you know, it was the serendipity of chance. I, I, I don't – and I think this is – you know, if we're talking about the pivot, I think this is why it's really important that we're – sort of giving our own personal experience because otherwise it's very easy to just say hey you should do this or you should do that um but actually we've done it and we live it uh, on a daily basis so you know i suppose in a sense that's why i kind of i'm so strong in trying to encourage people to have the confidence to do it because it can work but there are different <laughs> yeah. ways of doing it you know i think the other thing to think about <clears throat> And I'm kind of playing off something you mentioned a, a moment ago when when you reminded me that I left a staff job for freelance. And, and that was a little anxiety making because I, I'd sort of always been, or at least for many years, had been tied to a company, um, had insurance through the company, had uh, people that I worked with every day and could bounce ideas off of and, and, and whatnot. Um, had people to honestly, you know, check my work before it went into publication uh, as as magazines and and whatnot do. And then to move freelance, you know, you you lose all that structure unless you do something to create an analog to give you some of those things that you're missing um, from your previous life. Um, you know, which I which I tried to tried to set up in a in a very informal way. But moving from salary to freelance, was definitely uh, nerve-wracking. Well, I did, you know, when I left Condé Nast 23 years ago, I was in exactly the same situation. Um, yeah. And I, I think it it gives you that kind of sink or swim. And I think everybody we've spoken about uh, over the last two episodes have had that moment of sink or swim, and they've chosen to kind of dive in to continue that metaphor and just give it a go. And I hope, that these two episodes perhaps have encouraged people to actually take that risk and feel good about it. If it if it has, then do please get in touch with Bill and I. Let us know what you're thinking about. Let us know if what we're saying kind of strikes a chord with you or whether or not you think um, what we're suggesting seems too difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that people, especially creative people, learn to have enough faith in themselves to swim into the deep end. Um, you know, you can always swim back or reach for the side if it's not working out. But um, I, I, I do, I would encourage people to, to take their shot. Yeah, me too. Or, or if it goes wrong, just stick your hands in the air and scream. Someone will always come and help you out. Yeah. You know, um, th- th- there's also significant, um, research, psychological research that show, that talks about regret. And it turns out people regret things more that they don't do as opposed to things that they have done. And, and when I learned that some years ago, 
I thought that was a really important guiding principle because the thing you don't want to do when you're 80 years old and, and, you know, sitting at the bar or the pub is being like, wow, I, w- I really wish I just tried that. I really, I really wish I'd had the guts to, you know, make my stand and, and, and write this or shoot that or meet this person or, um, as opposed to, Hey, you know what? I tried it. They never wrote back. It didn't work out. The, the book didn't sell, but at least I tried. And I think, Keeping that in mind is important. I couldn't, you know, that it's almost as if we're professionals at this, Bill. What a great way to end the episode. And that's a wrap. <laughs> uh, no regrets, <laughs> no tears to cry. We'll, we'll end uh, with the Walker Brothers. Um, Bill, as always, um, fascinating, brilliant. Love talking to you. Could have gone on forever. Um, but you'll be back uh, next month, first week of the month, as always. And the conversation will be continuing. I look forward to it as always, Grant. That's brilliant. Cheers. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you have enjoyed it, do go back into our archive and explore other episodes. And of course, if you're listening to this on a platform which allows you to subscribe or write a little review, then please do that. All of those things really help. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'll see you next week. Take care.